0: I grew up in Snohomish, and now I live in Kirkland. I spend 40 hours a week in an office, among cubicles. I've lived here for 10 years. I'm a boss, a husband, a father, and a lifelong chauffeur. I'm a single working mom. Every morning, I walk our city streets and pray. I moved to the Northwest because of a job. I was living in Texas and my wife was in Alaska, so we picked the middle ground in Seattle. I've lived in Bellevue for 49 years. Sometimes I wish there were more hours in a day. Sometimes I'm just trying to keep my head above water. (laughs) Sometimes I wonder what my purpose is, not in the future, but here and now. Does God have me in this city for a reason? What is? What is? What is? What is your backstory? So, Lord Jesus, come and open up your word to us that we would know not only ourselves, but know you, that you might intertwine your story in our story. Um, We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we all have a hometown somewhere. Maybe you don't claim the Pacific Northwest as your hometown, or maybe even the U.S. Each of us came into the world to a particular place, to a particular set of relationships that shaped us. My red-headed Irish dad, whose grandfather was a dentist, went on to become an attorney and he married an olive-skinned Armenian girl whose father immigrated to the United States as an adult, fleeing a genocide, and who made his living with fruit stands on the corners of San Francisco." When you are traveling or introducing yourself, and someone says, where are you from, what do you say? I sort of still say the San Francisco Bay Area. It's like I'm a little proud, like the song, I left my heart in San Francisco. I told this to the Sermon Review folks, a group that meets together to kind of preview the sermons and give us advice, that my version of Nazareth, as I thought about it, would be something like, can anything good come out of Bakersfield? And you know what? Turns out, sitting right in front of me was someone from Bakersfield. You got it. So yes, something good from come, can come from there. When I was in graduate school on the East Coast, I would hear things like, California? You know, that's where they tip the US on its side and all the nuts rolled over to California. <laughs> or I'd hear, the East Coast is the right coast. Can anything good come out of California? We're in a sermon series called Backstory, where we are looking at the history of the Seattle area for clues of what God wants to do here as well as in our lives. But each of us has a backstory as well, and that story is related to where we came from. The Bible itself is rooted in a specific geography. Immediately, when I became part of this sermon series, I thought of Jesus' backstory, of this very sentence, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Do you know that Jesus of Nazareth, those two phrases together, his name and of Nazareth, is mentioned 27 times in the New Testament. Jesus doesn't seem embarrassed about Nazareth. In fact, he sort of claims it. When Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of that place, we know the answer is yes. Yes. And yet to Nathaniel, this was radical. Can God use Nazareth to bring about the reconciliation of the world? Evidently. God finds some pleasure not only using the commonest of people, but having them come from the most despised locations. And they're used to transform the world so that in the end, the only explanation is God. Jesus himself became a human being. He made his home in limited, failing human flesh. He was born in Bethlehem, and he grew up in Nazareth. So today we're going to take a quick look at four people in this passage. Well, actually, three people and a tree. Philip, Nathaniel, Jesus, and the fig tree. So, Philip, what's to love about Philip? He's from Bethsaida, not a big claim to fame. He's one of the first guys that Jesus called to follow him, and he seems to be a pretty amazing friend. Relationships seem to be his top priority. When he meets Jesus and says, yes, he'll follow him, Philip essentially races to go find Nathaniel and tell him this astounding news. Are you that way? Are you one of those people who shares your passion for things and invites others in? Do you find it difficult to invite others in? I was once in a leadership opportunity, and I was kind of leading this group that was getting bigger and bigger, and we needed additional Bible study leaders, and we were talking about potential leaders in the group, and somebody mentioned this name of a woman that I so admire, everything about her, and she said, you know, we should ask her to be a leader. Kendi, why don't you call her? And I was like, no, I can't call her. She's, she's like too significant. She wouldn't want to do this little thing that we're asking, and it became kind of a faith challenge for me. Like, Kendi, make the telephone call and let her decide. Well, it turns out, yeah, you guessed it, she was waiting for something like that telephone call for someone to invite her in. I've heard this time and again in our new members class when someone says, how did you get to be coming to Bellevue Press? They say, well, someone invited me. So people are glad to be invited, and it turns out Nathaniel accepted this invitation so philip goes and says we found him about whom moses and the prophets wrote it's jesus son of joseph from nazareth okay now nathaniel nathaniel the buddy from cana sneers in greek the word nazareth comes in the beginning of the sentence nazareth can anything good come out of that place I thought there might really be something wrong with Nazareth so I did a lot of research. All I could find out is that there was a Roman garrison there, so it was sort of put down. But Cana and Bethsaida, they're all just sort of local towns about nine kilometers apart, like five and a half miles. When I was growing up in the San Francisco Bay Area, I didn't really grow up in the city, though my mother did. I'd say I was from the Bay Area. And then if you got more specific, you know, well, whereabouts? Oh, the peninsula. Well, whereabouts in the peninsula? Well, I was actually from Hillsboro, but I was sort of embarrassed because that seemed like a ritzy town to me. So I would just mention I went to San Mateo High, like the big public high school. And it was super important to me that nobody got me mixed up with someone who went to Burlingame High School. You know, it's kind of like Issaquah versus Skyline or Bellevue versus Bothell or Cana versus Nazareth. Nathaniel was raised a good Jewish boy. And he knew his scriptures. He knew that the Messiah was supposed to come from Bethlehem, as it says in Micah 5.2. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. So Nathaniel is even bugged that Jesus is going to come from Bethlehem, this little town. And now Nazareth, how can it be? Everyone from Jerusalem kind of looked down on that whole area of Galilee, on those people. It's like our rivalries here. We've got UW versus UWSU, but Scott Dudley says, don't pick a favorite between those two, because then we get emails. So how about the Ducks? Any Ducks fans out there? Oh, yeah, OK, you guys are a pretty good crowd here. OK, so go ahead and gloat. You won the Rose Bowl, but let's not talk about that championship game with Ohio State. So did some of you just roll your eyes when I mentioned Ducks? Can you just picture Nathaniel rolling his eyes at Nazareth? This kind of attitude is typical of us, typical of the human race. We want to be with the right, smart people, the suitable people, the good-looking, well-dressed, wealthy people. We want others to think of us as capable, and we often seek to establish this identity not through our own good deeds, but through ridicule and disdain of others. So Philip, knowing that Nathaniel has responded with this sneer, says, Well, come and see. He hangs in there. He invites him again. It's like he notices, "Okay, we're different, but I'm going to keep inviting you, Nathaniel. Desmond Tutu says, Differences are not intended to separate or to alienate. We are different precisely in order to realize our need of one another. Jesus wins both of these men to himself, but he doesn't take away from their own uniqueness or freedom. So Philip says, come on, let's go see, and Nathaniel, why does he go? Why does he say yes? Maybe because he was invited by somebody that he trusted. He seems to be a strong, well-read, opinionated thinker. Kind of like the folks in my hometown growing up, I was raised to believe that hard work pays off, And there were things like, God helps those who helps themselves set around. But you know that's not in scripture? Not there. This one is. To whom much is given, much is expected. That actually turns out to be in Luke chapter 12, verse 48. And I've heard that Bill Gates' mom quoted that scripture a lot, even at their wedding. So I grew up in a generation that said, kind of anything is possible, even for women. You could be anything. I half believe, this is embarrassing to admit, I might become the first female president of the United States. Or if not me, you can laugh, go ahead. If not me, maybe one of my super smart friends. So Nathaniel somehow lets himself imagine that something good might come out of Nazareth, and he goes to see He opened himself up at least to meeting this guy from Nazareth. So are we willing to be like Nathaniel? To admit our need to get better answers than we are getting? To shed our assumptions and come and look alongside Nathaniel? Okay, further confession from me, last week, I got invited to go hear this kind of famous preacher, and it was so kind of exciting, and, you know, it's going to be a big deal, and the first guy stands up, and he says he's going to introduce the the kind of warm-up speaker before the big guy starts talking. And I kind of thought to myself, you know, it's like the opening act at a concert, probably second best, and like... As the guy stood up, let me tell you, he looked like Hagrid from Harry Potter. You know, there was like food stuck in his beard, and he, well, he didn't look like he'd planned his outfit out very well, and you know, I do a lot of work, especially when I'm standing up in front of people, you want to be seasonally appropriate, and people are going to be looking at you for kind of a long time, so you want to kind of look, I don't know, at least somewhere close to your best. Well, evidently, This guy, this was it. His his hair was a little unkept. He had a scraggly yeah. I was judging him. Do you get the thing? In fact, it had even occurred to me that this would be a great time to go to the ladies' room. (laughs) It's true. And then he began to open his mouth. I couldn't get out fast enough. And the word of God just came right out of his mouth by pouring truth and inspiration. And he made us laugh. And I got out my phone and I started taking pages of notes. I admit it. Human beings, like me, are prone to judgment. I know maybe you're thinking, you're judging me right now. Like, well, she sounds so she's so judgmental. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a temptation, and we often give in. Judging just is a way to fan our biases against each other. But you know what? Human beings are not good at judging. God is God doesn't look at what we're wearing. God looks at our heart. So this is what happens. When Jesus looks at Nathanael, he says, Ah, here comes one in whom there is no deceit. He doesn't say, Here is a bullheaded blabbermouth who loves the sound of his own voice, though that could have been another way to put it. Jesus is the ultimate strength finder. He focuses on building strengths rather than on weaknesses. From cradle to cubicle, we devote more time to fixing our shortcomings or hiding them rather than cultivating our strengths. Jesus calls us as we are. There's a uniqueness about about Philip and about Nathanael and about us. And Jesus values all of that. Jesus affirms the directness of Nathanael. Dale Bruner says Jesus' first recorded miracles are knowing and telling two different people who they are after having just met them. So Jesus calls Nathaniel and says, I saw you under the fig tree. I know you. I see you just as you are. And Jesus says the same thing to us. I see your seeking. I see your strengths. I see your longings. I see you praying under the fig tree or on your bed or in the sanctuary, in the community center. Okay, the fig tree, what's that about? How does the fig tree make it into the story? It's not just Jesus sort of driving by or walking by and noticing Nathanael under the fig tree, but Nathanael realizes that Jesus saw him in a supernatural way. And that's why as soon as Jesus says that, Nathanael changes from, like, son of Joseph from Nazareth to son of God, king of Israel. He knows that Jesus saw into his heart. Abraham Lincoln is quoted as having said this, having absolutely no place else to go, I was driven to my knees. Nathaniel was driven to his knees under the fig tree. That was kind of a place that you would go to reflect under that particular kind of tree. Where is it where you go to meet Jesus, to let him know what's going on with you? I recently read this book called Medic, Written by a guy named Ben Sherman when he was a young man. He was a conscientious objector to the Vietnam War, and so he got called as a medic. He describes after the war was over that he still carried with him the first casualty that he had held in his arms. And he went to the Vietnam Memorial to visit that name and make a rubbing of the name as people do. He says, As I was leaning my forehead against the ebony wall. I sobbed as I remembered my palm soaked with blood from his exit wound, the same palm that now clutched a rubbing of his name. I didn't know him, we had never spoken, but he mattered to me. He was the first casualty this medic had encountered. As I knelt, the reflection of a man about my age and his mother appeared. I stood and backed away so they could touch the name they had located the one name in 58,000, directly above where I knelt. His brother, her son, the very same name I held in my hand. The next day, my friend and I returned to the wall and told one of the volunteers helping there the story of what happened the night before. He offered a knowing smile and said, it happens every day here. This is holy ground. Has it happened to you something like that? where God shows up in a mysterious way that you don't expect, and you can't really explain it. So Nathaniel the skeptic encounters the God who can look into his heart and see who he is. When I was in seminary in New Jersey, I met a guy from California, and I thought we had so much in common until I learned that he went to the University of Spoiled Children. (laughs) I mean USC. You see, I graduated from UCLA, and USC and UCLA are dramatically different, despite the fact that they're both in LA, only 12 miles apart. We do not have the same perspectives. So then I married this USC guy. (laughs) And Tyler has converted our children into USC football fans. In preparing for this sermon, I discovered some fun facts about the rivalry. I'll give you one. UCLA has the most NCAA Division I team championships at 112, while USC has the third most at 100. The Los Angeles Coliseum is the home stadium of the Trojans, but it's actually closer to the UCLA campus. Well, UCLA has its home stadium, the Rose Bowl, which is actually closer to the USC campus. We are literally playing each other in our backyards, and yet we cannot stand each other. Brene Brown says, judgment exacerbates disconnection. We celebrate this in sports, but when has a rivalry gone too far? When does it become unsportsmanlike conduct? or socioeconomic putdowns or cultural slurs, or what about on the news this week, where we see people playing God, Judge, and Jury in Ferguson and the University of Oklahoma? Judging doesn't help us to understand other people, and it can be a sneaky, negative way for us to attempt to feel better about ourselves by throwing someone else under the bus. Judging exposes our bias toward each other, John Perkins, a theologian, says it is clear in Scripture that God works constantly to transform people who then reflect the fruit of the Spirit. People go wrong when they assume that they know what needs fixing. So it looks to me like Nathanael needed fixing. It looks to Jesus like Nathanael is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Jesus has hope for Nathanael, and Nathanael responds that way. He says, you are the son of God. I see with a spiritual kind of seeing. So how about you? How about me? Who's on your Nazareth list? What tendency or what bias do you carry? When I asked someone in the congregation about this this week, he said that there was a popular saying in his community going, growing up, you ain't Dutch, you ain't much. When does it go from patriotism to nationalism? from the American dream to entitlement, from hard work with good results to good looks and wealth being the only measure of success. We have a hard time, and we indulge ourselves in judgment instead of disciplining ourselves to offer grace. So how's that for bias? This week, can we check our assumptions at the door? Can we look around the world that God so loved, even the Nazareth's? Jesus' hometown is way beyond Nazareth. Jesus' hometown is that sacred space where judgment is suspended, where we meet for prayer, that third place. Jesus goes from heaven to earth, and he says, you're going to see these things. You're going to see angels descending and ascending. You're going to see the kingdom of God. Your hometown is heaven. You're going to see things like at the end of the Super Bowl, the Patriots and the Seahawks kneeling in prayer. You're going to see things like this slide that I want to add in here that I just stuck into the PowerPoint. A guy like this, here he comes. Oh, wait, yes, you're the son of God. I must claim that first. I have one more minute, so I'm rushing. (laughs) And I have to get this quote in there. Scott Dudley says, to change a human heart is a miracle. So Nathaniel's perspective is transformed. And he makes one of the greatest statements of faith. You are the son of God. You are God himself. You are homoousios in the Greek. It's this fancy seminary word that means you are the very nature, God. So Jesus says, if you follow me, you'll be watching what it looks like when heaven and earth are truly open to each other. Your hometown is heaven. Jesus looks at the heart, and we're busy looking at the outside. Could we see one another, all people, as children or potential children of God, using our differences for our common purpose? So it was just yesterday that I ran into this picture that will come up. When you see this guy, what do you think? Kind of looks like a homeless guy, doesn't he? He's living out of his 1978 Volkswagen Westphalia camper in the parking lot of a Walmart. He sleeps in a sleeping bag. He has one pair of jeans, and he was baptized in his baseball uniform. His dad and granddad own a bike shop whose motto is not just to sell bikes, but to change the world this way, to help people to learn to play outdoors, love the earth, and live simply. This is Daniel Norris. He's in his 20s, he's recently signed with the Toronto Blue Jays, and he lives whenever possible in his van. He says, what I'll do if baseball goes well is I'll become even more of an ambassador for the things I really care about. That sure seems like success and freedom to me. Friends, what would it be like if you thought of your hometown as heaven. Please pray with me. Lord God, we thank you that you look not on our exterior, but you look at our hearts. And so I ask that you would so shape our hearts that we would be turned toward you, that we would be open to the freedom that you have for us when we belong to you. So we say, yes, Lord, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. We want you to be the leader of our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.